0: Black men learn early on to present an artifice. We learn early on to present an artifice to the world and even to y'all, you know, so we we present an artifice to the world that we are, we're we're not going to rob you and we're not going to assault you and we're cool and we can dance, we can play basketball, you know what I'm saying? And so like, and with y'all, like, we're smooth and we can be a provider, a protector, or we can be really good in bed and fun and funny. And so all Black men, like, secretly know this performance art that we are constantly engaging in. And the secret is we're the only ones who know it.
1: This is the As It Should Be podcast, and I'm your host, Tamara Jones. Join me as I speak to the people remaking the world as it should be. We discuss the role of inclusion, equity, and belonging in facing the challenges shaping our society today. Hey y'all! Welcome back to another episode of As It Should Be. So let's get real with each other for a second. Social media is a cesspool of debauchery. I said what I said. And so, me personally, I tend to actively seek out content that challenges me to expand. And I'm often surprised by just how refreshing some creators I encounter on these internet streets can be in pushing my own personal growth to new heights I didn't know that I needed. So, I'm actually considering using my own socials to introduce y'all to some creators and content that I really love. Let me know if that's something you would like. Today's guest is actually one of those creators. Some of you may know him as FD Signifier on YouTube. Throughout the episode, you'll hear me call him Feek, which is what the F N F D stands for. <laughs> Feek is a YouTube creator that analyzes Black media and challenges us to critique the stories we consume and analyze how those sources are shaping our perspectives about ourselves and each other. During our conversation, I learned so much about Feek's upbringing and how that shaped him, but we also get into a conversation about how the portrayal of black men specifically has impacted how we as a society behave towards them, what we expect from them and how they navigate the world as a result. Without further ado, Join me in welcoming Feek to the show. Welcome to As It Should Be, Feek. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me. This is my first piece of media since i have as a YouTuber, so this is dope.
1: That's dope. So let's just start with introducing you. Talk to me about your life growing up. What's your story?
0: I think I have a pretty unique story, but I'm always hesitant to I've also heard like even more unique stories, but I'm going to just put it out there. I'm the youngest of three of a single mom, so I have some of the the very stereotypical trappings of of African-American men growing up, missing father figures, et cetera. My mom, however, did not struggle. My mother worked incredibly hard. She had her PhD by the time I was graduating from high school. So she put three children through college and got her PhD at the same time. So I have this unique perspective of having a lot of the markers of stereotypical Black poverty, whatever, like seasonings and sprinkles of it, while also being exposed to high levels of achievement and relative privilege because of that. My mother was also a Black Panther in her youth. And I have a lot of like Pan-African, very Afrocentric, like a lot of stuff we call hoteps. Today, that was native to me as a child which is why I look at it very differently now as an adult, especially compared to what I'm seeing now, which does not look like what I saw as a child. And even in that, because of my privilege, because that was very much a a people's class-based movement, but a lot of that people's class-based struggle, I didn't feel. And then then I also went to a very diverse high school, economically and racially. So I have had the privilege and benefit of having this very unique perspective of the world Growing up, my entire life of being able to witness um, things and and touch on different aspects of of experiences, which informed my worldview, and while sometimes coming to clash with other people because people have, can only see the world through the lens that they they have access to, and so since my lens tends to in- include all these other features, I have I've been accused of being a hothead and accused of being... I can't think of the other, the opposite, but I've been, I've been accused of two different like, disparate things since I've started my channel. I had somebody be overly critical of me because I was too pro-Black, and then I've had people say, you, you hate Black men at the same time. So I'm like, well, I must be doing... This is exactly what I want to be. This is kind of exactly what I want to do.
1: So you said your mom was a Black Panther. What did that mean for you? What kind of experiences were you exposed to as a result of that?
0: Man, so... I was almost about to say nothing, but like when I think about it, uh, a a lot of like unique things. I remember meeting Muhammad Ali as a kid. Are you familiar with Lupe Fiasco? Yeah. I knew his father. Lupe Fiasco's father was like the community militia guy. And we learned karate because we, you know, that was a big part of of Black uh, social action movements in Chicago at the time I was growing up. So I remember going to karate classes. I remember being in his weapons store. I remember going to visit him at 18 when he was, uh, right before he passed, he had moved out into the sticks, but he still had a house full of weapons, like dirty, hairy guns, like Bowie knives.
1: That's so dope!
0: <laughs> yeah, it was also, like, also kind of, it was rough at times. Terrifying. Yeah, terrifying is a good way. It's, it's not, it's like, and that's kind of my thing, is like, I've experienced uh, a lot of Black people power fantasy spaces. A lot I think a lot of people come into black power ideology in undergrad, like a little we putting it. And they idealize it to be something that it's not. So like you no know, shape of Luphy asshole's father, I did not enjoy visiting him during that because he scared me. He talked crazy. <laughs> and he was very sick. So he's talking that cash shit about black people, right? I think this is like right after 9/11. He's talking that like real cash pope, a black power shit. Yeah but he's sick. He's being killed by diabetes. But just going back to your original question, yeah, like, you know, Pan-African festivals, you know, my sister got married in the Nation of Islam's like head mosque, like her national headquarters. So like all these like super pro-Black things that are like sacred, in like fantasy spaces to a lot of people, they're they're native to me, which ironically or paradoxically actually makes them seem a lot less special in my in my framework, and allows me to be more critical of like uh, of them as a whole. Yes, because there's a lot of stuff that people just don't they they never really see. Like knowing people who were there when Malcolm X divided uh, from the nation, having met and like talked to personally Warf Dean Muhammad. Who was Elijah Muhammad's son? Who was expected to take over the nation of Islam, but he rejected it for the same reason Malcolm X rejected it.
1: And you were about to say nothing. Your mother should be ashamed of you for saying nothing.
0: <laughs> 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 like... oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was normal, but yeah, that's that's me checking my privilege. Just me checking, trying to check my privilege. So
1: you experience all of those things, and then you enter college. Where did you end up going to going to school?
0: I went to. Look, we got her right here. I was trying to keep it in the videos. I went to Clark Lane University, uh, class two thousand four, and that was uh, probably the best, most important experience of my life. Why? So my experiences made me feel very apart from people, and it wasn't like the the like very classic, I didn't fit in with the black people stuff. Like I, I had no problem fitting in with black people. And you know, I had a, a strong love for my folks, but I was either around bougie black folks or black folks from the struggle. And I was, I'm going say I was halfway in both worlds. I was 30% in the struggle, 70% in bougie, but like most people in bougie were hundred percent in bougie. and had like no love for the struggle and vice versa. And so that was my experience, I should say. So when I got to college and I got to meet so many other Black folks who had similar experiences, and then I got to have folks in the struggle because, you know, HBCUs will take Black folks from, you know, a lower economic status uh, backgrounds and build them into the best, most dynamic people in the game. So getting to like have that build me up into a different person. It was so valuable. I met my wife there and just so many different growth experiences came out of that.
1: So with all of that, now YouTube, like of all the things that you could have possibly done, (laughs) why YouTube? Why video essays?
0: I started out thinking I was going to be the next Puff Daddy for some reason.
1: Like a rapper?
0: No, no, like a a music producer. I actually have a really funny story about meeting Akon's mom, hearing Akon's music and thinking it was bad. And then like completely dropping a significant opportunity to be on Akon's team. And so like after that happened, I realized I didn't have the chops for that. So I uh, I got into the family business, which has been community service, community activism, teaching, whatever. So I became a teacher. And as a byproduct of that, of wanting to stay uh, engaged with youth, I've always been more than people my age paying attention to YouTube and whatever social media was at the time. The YouTube video essay left tube commentary space is a very woman dominated space and a white male dominated space. And I appreciate the the many contributions I've gotten from those videos, but I've always felt and I'm I'm a consumer of like that stuff for years since it really started being a thing in the in the early 2010s. And so I was always kind of like, man, I really wish somebody was talking about these things that are of interest to me, but in a way that I rock with. And so I was like, let me be that person, basically. And people seem to respond to it because I I guess I wasn't the only one missing that type of voice.
1: Because your your YouTube page is all about black media. You're critiquing and analyzing film and TV and representation uh, across those things. So in your life, kind of what role has film and TV
0: played? I am a pop culture and media junkie. Yeah. So like that's that's really where it starts is that that's just the stuff I would do. If I had just no no reason to make a video about it, I would want to watch as much as I can. And then I wanted to talk to people about what I watched. And then that also kind of is what got me to like being critical of things more because you see enough and you start to recognize patterns. Like I didn't go to school for film per se, but like you see enough movies, you start to recognize patterns. Like I'm a person where like, don't ask me like what's going to happen next because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to probably be right. You know what I'm saying? Because I like not even just like my wife still doesn't understand how I do it, you know. But once you understand stories and narrative, then you know what a creator is trying to do. So, yeah. So like really it's just um, I'm I'm just a a pop culture junkie. I I was a teacher for 10 years. What did you teach? I taught English. So I'm also like a junkie of stories and like, you know, elements to storytelling. And so part of the enjoying media was also just keeping up with the kids And not wanting to be completely out of touch with what they're consuming, because, you know, I've always believed that pop culture is just as valuable and depthful as Shakespeare and Chaucer and shit.
1: So let's get into your actual like sport of critiquing stories. Right. You kind of put yourself in a real that's that's. You bold. You bold in a way that I am. <laughs> People are more defensive of film and TV shows and those kind of stories than they are about like legislative policy and what goes down and right. like our government right. and things like that. In your own words, in your own opinion, like what do you think it means to actually be critical of our stories? It
0: really just to me, it means to think about them in the ways that they grow and affect us. Um, or what they're trying to give us as pieces of art, um, even if it's just give us something to laugh at, even if it's you know lowbrow, you know stuff, it still has stuff to say. Um, and I, it's a big deal to me because, and the reason why I think people are would attach themselves to media is because of that. Because a piece of media will become a piece of who you are if it connects with you like that. My curiosity is what is it? What what is connecting with you from this piece of media? So one of my videos that's you know it's an older video but it's going it's getting a lot of numbers and like I'm getting flack now is is, is the Edge Lord video. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. I watched that one. Mm-hmm. And so I am a former Edge Lord. Like I'm a former edgy guy. I want to say things and I I you know I'm super important and oh the Joker and Fight Club. Like I was into a lot of that um, coming out of high school you know undergrad um, and it colored the way I saw the world. And then as I grew and got older, I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't know about a lot of this stuff I've been thinking and doing for the last however long. And then like when I, when I made that video, it was reflecting partially on my experiences and how I fell into this space where this media had gave color to a place I was in. And then it kind of reinforced it. It reflected it. I always be careful. It didn't cause it. That was where I was because of you know, my insecurities and things I was going through in life, but the media gave me something to to chew on that had the same energy.
1: Can you explain the Edgelord concept?
0: An edge Edgelord is basically usually almost always a guy. Um almost always, you know, in the young adulthoods we're talking about, you know, middle school to hopefully it's over by your early twenties. Some people it never ends. And you feel the the key thing is that your social society, as it's been taught to you, which is still a legitimate thing, um, has not proven itself to be what you've been what's been taught to you. You're usually on the outskirts of social, you know, of social circles because you don't fit in. You, you know, you don't have good social skills. You're into niche things, whatever. And so you begin trying to understand that you look for reasons to make sense of that experience. It's not a fun one. And then you start to a lot of people, once once they get there, they start to want to push the boundaries and then they want to get reactions out of people. And then they want to, you know, claim power from that space. And then they just start getting really edgy. So they just want to be shocking and they want to they know how society really is. And there's a lot of really negative behavior that comes out of it. It's very connected to like red pill in soul activity. Because fundamentally, these are a lot of unhappy young men who are looking for reasons to explain their unhappiness. And the problem is the edginess doesn't explain it. What explains it is, you know, oppressive systems, oppressive uh, gender performance uh, rules for a lot of boys, um, capitalism, you know, getting into all the cold words. And so, you know, so coming back, I guess, full circle That media, Fight Club, when I saw it, it changed my life at 17, right? I was like, it all makes sense now. We live in a society, all that good stuff. And you couldn't tell me nothing about it for darn near 10 years, probably. Um, And then I started to learn. I was like, well, not 10 years. Let me give myself more credit. But then I, I watched a YouTube video, a video essay about it by a gay man who pointed out that this is a gay allegory. And that the the original writer was a gay man who at the time, I guess, I don't know if he was in the closet technically, but it was all these things that I missed because I was focused on how it attached to who I was at the time. And so I've just always been interested in how that works and how people see certain things because of their standpoint or, or don't see certain things because of their standpoint.
1: That's exactly where I kind of am, not the edge lord part. I'm talking about the part of trying to understand how people are people are reflecting their own experiences in their in the media that they consume, and that influences the behavior that they then you know portray following consuming that piece of media so it's like i'm but i I still don't see. How you get to the point of being able to like disassociate your clear relation, like you have this admiration or like this relationship with this piece of media that you see yourself reflected in. So how do you pull yourself away from that to be able to actually critique the media and say like, okay, this is feeding this specific message like this is this is saying this specific message. And that doesn't necessarily, like, how do you distance like dis- two? I guess.
0: You don't, you don't. That's, I think that's the mistake that people make when being trying to be, you know, analytical and critical is they try to create this myth, myth that we're not biased. And that is like some of the criticism I've gotten on that video is like, you're biased. I'm like, I said I was biased in the beginning of the video. Nobody is unbiased. And so what you do is you present your biases and you say through these biases, this is what I see through the lens of these biases. This is what this movie means to me. Um, And that's the only way you get that to me. That's the only true way to to be critical. Um, And because you can't I can't say that. uh, Like, so my favorite video, my favorite video recently is the baby boy video, at least in terms of my analysis videos. And like to me as a black man, especially having had the experience I've had in the last 10 years where I've kind of, you know, gotten woke or whatever you want to call it. um, That video is so profound because it speaks so significantly to the ways that movie, I should say, to the ways in which black men experience the world in this infantile nihilistic state. But other people's like, dude, what you talking about? I'm like, dude, at the beginning with the baby and then he riding the bike the whole movie. And then when you look at Melvin, like he sees Melvin naked because he feels naked. Like, I'm, I can go on all that. Other motherfuckers like, is like, bro, this shit goofy.
1: It's not
0: that deep. What do you, bro, what do it's you mean? it's not that deep. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's what I got from it. Because, you know, it reflects some things I caught. And I try not to get mad when people don't see it. Because, you know... All, more, more joy for me, really.
1: My favorite video of yours has got to, like, unquestionably be the Issa video where you talked about male representation in her stories, um, specifically Lawrence, and you went into depth about his whole experience on uh, her show, Insecure. And I've... I feel like it's in that that video sh- uh, hit me differently because, like, it gives you a perspective of the black male experience that I wouldn't have necessarily considered um, had I not heard the perspective of a black man who watched the show, who wasn't yeah. Team Lawrence all day. Yeah, team Lawrence <laughs> all day. <laughs>
0: yeah that, that's another big reason why. I'm happy my channel's growing and I, I wanted to be successful. Like it's funny cause that was maybe my second or third video and it's last year and nobody saw it. It just sat there. It had like 400, 500 views. And then I got a couple of cosigns and suddenly the algorithm, you know, started messing with me. Um, that was a point to that. Anyway. Um, the, the point was like feeling, feeling, uh, kind of voiceless as a black man, uh, as, a, as a cis-hetero Black man in like today's discourse around Black people and Black men and us and relationships, or whatever. And I started my channel before Kevin Samuels got big. Um, I know, <laughs> I know, like I had already started the channel, but, you know, before him, there was Derrick Jackson and this, this plethora of Black men being everything but themselves to, to get a buck. And I've long since felt That the world does not know black men very well, including y'all, and I love y'all, but I think y'all severely overestimate how well y'all know us, which is one of the reasons why, and that's partly our fault because we don't we don't know how to open up to y'all on a lot of levels. And so, you know, I was like, I would see the team Lawrence stuff, and I'd be like, "Uh, no, not really. And then I would see the response to that, I was like, ah, y'all are missing X and Y. And then I'd be like, who's with me? That's cricket. And I'm like, okay. Let me make a video about it. Because like my wife got it. Like we would talk about that. We talked about Lawrence's, you know, uh, progress and how it reflects a lot of a lot of men are with me. Like I get messages all the time and I would have these conversations all the time with a lot of dudes who are with me at, and all the things I'm talking about. Like I'm, I'm a conduit for those conversations that I've had for years now. But we just kind of keep it to ourselves. And, after letting certain other dudes dominate our voice in social media for so long, like I really hope not only that I can continue to grow, but that I also because bring some other dudes with me. you know what I'm saying?
1: Can you like, for the people who haven't seen your video yet, not I don't want you to explain your whole Lawrence concept. I'm more thinking of like what is so different between how you view? The, the vast, expansive portrayal of a Black man in that story versus how you feel like Black men are normally perceived or portrayed?
0: Black men learn early on to present an artifice. I got this from my love video. One of my homeboys used that word. and I'm like, that's a perfect, that's a perfect explanation. We learn early on to present an artifice to the world. And even to y'all, you know, so we, we present an artifice in the world that we are, we're, we're not going to rob you and we're not going to assault you and we're cool and we can dance, we can play basketball, you know what I'm saying? And so like, and with y'all, like we're smooth and we can be a provider, a protector, or we can be really good in bed and fun and funny. And so all Black men like secretly know this performance art that we are constantly engaging in. And the secret is we're the only ones who know it. And a handful of people know it, like Issa got, gets it. And so as a black man, when you see other black men, you know, the performance, you know, the beats, you know, the dance steps. And so when I was watching Insecure, it was the first time in like a mainstream thing. I was watching a man do the dance on purpose. Did that make sense? It's hard to say. It's like. And most media, even like media created by, like I love Ron Cooler and Spike Lee's work because they really get into some of the complexities of black masculinity, but their male characters always perform the dance seamlessly. Whereas with Lawrence and with a lot of these other male characters, you see, you ever, you see them counting in their head. You ever hear that phrase? Yeah. It's like somebody's doing choreography and like somebody, they got it, like, they got it down. And the other people you can know, it's like one, two, three. For But like you can see them count the choreography in the head. And that's what Lawrence does in that show. You can see him counting the choreography of performing Black masculinity in his head at times. Because nobody ever sees Lawrence on the couch except for his w- woman and his mother. That's, who, that's the only people that ever see that. Um, and so to start there with Lawrence, it's already, bro, why ain't you dancing? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so immediately I was on to that. Um, but I think for women and for, you know, non-black people that don't kind of engage in that duality that black men do, um, be, and we don't tell y'all, you know, y'all find out when we break down, you know what I'm saying? Y'all find out when we flip out. That's when you find out where a black man's really been the last couple of months or years is when he breaks down or flips out. It's never in the moment. Like, Hey baby, I need a moment. I need some time. You know, I need to cry this out. I need the process. It's like I'm drunk on the street or I'm r- running through the street. You know what I'm saying? Like it's never it's never a gradual process. And so that's why Lawrence's character arc was so deep to me, because it was like Issa is showing the choreography and not just showing the dance. We talked about
1: earlier how like people connect with a story so deeply that it kind of it then is manifested in their behavior later on. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering like people, pe- when people see stories that are not their own story. So like, I like, let's say I'm a white person or I'm may- maybe even a black, maybe even black women. I probably shouldn't even say maybe cause I feel like I've done this. It's like the under, we kind of get our understanding of who black men are based on how they're portrayed in media.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we project that on them and they continue to, like you said, perform this dance mm-hmm. that satisfies the the understanding of what we think a black man should be. How do you feel like I? I may have just answered my own question, but how do you feel like that that portrayal of that narrative of who black men are supposed to be has affected how black men are treated?
0: It's very detrimental. It's very detrimental Um, in so many ways. Like I couldn't I've done four or five videos maybe on black masculinity and I still ain't I still ain't cracked the surface to me from my perspective. And it's because like it's not even just like I'm lucky that I've had a really good partner and relative privilege was able to go to college and a good therapist that I've been able to like break down a lot of this stuff to actualize into this understanding. Well, a lot of brothers, that artifice is survival equipment. You know what I'm saying? And so because it comes so second nature and so natural, Black men don't even know how to break it down. And so how can we expect y'all to, to get it? You know what I'm saying? In fact, y'all trying to get it is a threat. You know what I mean? Like when, when, when you're with the woman or a partner in general, and they're trying to break through that artifice and you're not ready to to take off that armor, it feels threatening. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, I don't even know what's in there. You know what I'm saying? And so because we have this barrier to our own like views and understanding of who we are and we keep giving this artifice, the artifice becomes the truth. And then we have to keep dancing. And some brothers ain't got the rhythm, you know? (laughs) Some brothers feet hurt, some brothers get tired, uh, it's just so many things. Well, some brothers, I out. one video I'm going to work on is going to be, is going to talk about like Future mm-hmm. and like Andre 3000 and all these men that have basically said, I'm good on love. Um, ah. Because I think there's something deep in that for a lot of Black men. Like we think of it as just hedonistic. And with some it is, like Future is definitely like somewhat hedonistic. But like Andre 3000 and what's going on with Nick Cannon, like through a limited artificial viewpoint, it just looks like some Negroes acting a donkey. And that's still a relevant reading of that. But I see men pulling out of the game and responding to the world's expectations with, I got money. I don't have to do this no more. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, there's, there's so much there. Like I have so many other ideas of engaging in that. There's so many unspoken, these are conversations we have amongst ourselves. Because and that's a problem because we only trust each other because we only believe that we won't judge each other the way we fear y'all might, the way we know the world might. We have so much fear of revealing some of these things. I'm breaking code, you know what I mean? I've, I've seen that in my comments multiple times. And so, you know, where how are y'all supposed to understand us? How should the world understand us if we barely understand ourselves, you know?
1: I have so many things. <laughs> But I only have like 15 more minutes of this. So I'm one of the things that you uh, talked about outside of your actual critiques was disassociating your love for an artist with your critique of their art. And this is seen a lot. This, this topic is talked about a lot in, uh, in the sense of like music, specifically Mm -hmm. Kanye. Right.
0: Um, (laughs) other You know, habitual line steppers and bad people, you know, that I don't want to bring up the names. Yes.
1: So I'm wondering, like, I guess, where do you where do you get where do you start with with that of I I have like, let's say I have a critique of an artist's behavior, but I still understand. The meaningful impact that their art had in the moment for which it was created, mm-hmm. right, and it because art is time bound. Most art is time bound, right? Like you're reflecting the experiences that that are happening in any given moment. In the '90s, television shows were very different. Black TV in the late '90s and early 2000s was very different than this research this like resurface of black TV that's been happening in the last decade right. it was a very different time mm-hmm. so the 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 piece of art itself is pretty is very time bound like I appreciate the impact that it had for the time that it was created but at this point in time I now have a, a critique of the artist how do you separate that because that's when we get into the lane of like, is it throw the baby out with the bathwater completely boycott boycott all art that this artist has ever participated in? or is it, you know, yeah it, it is what it is, it was what it was?
0: I so there's there's two major beliefs that I roll with, and this is just me. So the first is, is this person's behavior so bad? That by consuming their art, you are legit contributing to the harm of other people. So that is where we get into. I'm a, I'm a he who shall not be named. He's from yes. Chicago. I'm from Chicago, right? Got it. And so, like, and that's hard. That is a legit part of my childhood, prom dances, homecoming, cookouts that is gone for me. And initially, I was, I was like, eh. I'm gonna just enjoy, I'm gonna still enjoy the music because like that's part of my childhood. And then over time, because of this rule, I can't hear it anymore. I don't listen to it. Like when I hear it, I can't stop thinking of the reality of what that person is responsible for. Um, People are going through this with Harry Potter, right? Um, Because of of JK Rowling's anti-trans stuff. So it's like, is, is their behavior so bad that by consuming their art and essentially giving them money, Are you contributing to the harm of others? So for me, if the answer to that is yes, then you kind of got to let it go. Then it's like, okay, their behavior is bad, but it's like bad. Like I was bad at one point in time, bad like we all are bad at points in times. Bad as in contributing harmful ideas, being a shitty person, like it becomes a wavelength. And in that space, I say, what do you feel like you should do? I feel like it's not smart. Or I don't want to say logical. I feel like it's just not practical to create hardline rules about what art can be separated from said artists. Like based like this is the rule for everybody. I feel like I feel like if, if you are no longer comfortable with that artist and that person's art, then do not listen to it. If people play it around you and you're like, this makes me uncomfortable and they don't stop. Leave that space. Maybe don't hang with that person anymore. If they get mad about it, stand your ground. You know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't get mad about it if that was my situation. Kanye is a huge part of who I like. I grew up with Kanye, not grew up with him. Right. But like Kanye was the first black man to be emotional out loud in public. You know what I'm saying? So for a lot of men like myself, like canceling Kanye, like canceling Kanye and saying I'm never consuming his work. I'm never paying attention to him. I'm never engaging in that. I, I don't I don't see that as a thing. Now, am I going to excuse his behavior? They don't know. Not me personally. Um, do I even like his last couple of albums? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I can't reject, you know what? I, I haven't gotten to a point with Kanye's behavior personally where I can reject what his music meant to me. When I was 19, 20 years old and trying to understand myself as an emotional being, as a black man. Right. And so once I get to that point, I'll stop listening to Kanye. You know, once it becomes hard, once like once if if something else comes out about Kanye and he's in a whole other level of harm, then I'll probably get to that point. But I'm not going to personally force people to be where I'm at. Yeah. Nor am I going to force people to you know what i'm saying like i i i feel like that's the best thing the one thing i'll say about that and i don't believe in like the whole cancel culture yeah yeah like i don't believe in that but i do think there's an element to people who have been voiceless having access to a powerful voice that it, that's that's very new um and so that's where i think a lot of that comes from but the truth of the matter is you got to live your life you got to do better my my axiom is Life is short. We have we have a we have one life right now, as far as we know. Right. Enjoy it as much as you can while doing as little harm as you can and trying to leave it as better than when you got here. That's my general rule for life, because everything else is, is real. starts getting real complicated. And so you shouldn't you shouldn't be making broad rules for very complex situations.
1: I agree. I like I like that thought process. I feel like the idea that a person makes a single makes a single mistake versus versus c- causing intentional harm, a mistake versus causing intentional harm. I feel like it's not um, has not really been delineated a lot in public discourse, and I feel like a person making us making a mistake versus actually causing intentional harm is not cause for their Legacy to be
0: erased, or or maybe it is. That's why I make it individual. If you feel like F Kanye forever, hey, F. Kanye forever. <laughs> like... You can't delete my Spotify. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? It is it is what it is. Like people still mad at Kevin Hart for being homophobic. Kevin Hart was mad homophobic. Like everything he did then was homophobic. And like I saw the Lil Nas X interview, and I was like, this dude, like he's better, but he ain't learned nothing. And somebody needs to talk to him before he do something else dumb. So like, if you F Kevin heart forever, cool. But on the flip side, man, Louis C.K. is it's my second comedian of all time after Dave Chappelle. Like, it's, it gets so hard. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, Dave, Ch- Dave Chappelle has come back as this proto-hotel, you know, a lot of transphobic stuff that I want to make a video about that too because like, we have to, as black men start Ex- explaining ourselves with this shit because nobody, it's like people are afraid to ask us about it. Um, and then like Louis C.K.'s stuff before his nonsense was so hilarious to me and insightful. And I was like <laughs> you know, and they're making the same exact jokes about trans people. It's its like, not just bad, it's also unoriginal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is disappointing. I don't know. We off topic
1: recommend anybody listening to this to actually go watch your video on the um, cishet black arguments on the queer agenda.
0: The the, the agenda.
1: The agenda is (laughs) that is that is my favorite video. Like, okay, after Issa, after your after your video on Issa, I would definitely say, or maybe your Libby I don't know. I watched a lot of your videos, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, but I I highly recommend that that queer agenda video because it sh- at, at the very least, like, if you are black and you're listening to this, you'll learn a lot totally. of things.
0: Hopefully, but it's I still get dudes that pop up in the comments like you don't see the agenda. It's like what I had. a I got an argument, with it. and here's and here's the complexity. I have friends from high school. Like you, I don't know if you saw Robin was a a Robin from Batman. One of the like ten Robins is now bisexual, which like yes, yeah, cool representation, yes. all the good stuff. And it's like ten of them. So if you really like, you have nine other Robins if you really need to have this. I, right. I got
1: text messages that were just like, absolutely not. Cancel DC.
0: And, <laughs> and here's where it gets complex with Black men. And like, we were talking about canceling. Close friends from high school, you know, people that have watched my kids hit me up like, this is the agenda. And like, one thing about, again, air quotes, canceling, is that somebody got to do the work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't like how people like, excuse the baby, like he just, you know, he just being himself, you know, why can't we cancel Lil Nas X, which is right. But I also don't like how people are like, like there's people saying the baby needs to be educated, but they're not going further enough than saying we need to educate the baby. Like black men need to like, don't nobody, we don't listen to nobody but us. Let's keep it a buck. We don't listen to nobody but, but us. And we only listen to some of us because I've been trying to talk to some of these Negroes for years now. So like, I got to keep tabs on my homophobic friends and acquaintances from high school and cousins and my dad, (laughs) right? Because, you know, I got to continue to engage with them and explain stuff to them. And so it's like, you got to give grace to people to to like be where they are and you got to be, and you got to do your own thing. It's, it's kind of my attitude, you know, I got homophobic peers that I try to talk to on a regular basis about their nonsense. But, you know, if I leave them to their devices, who am I? Who am I really? I, I'm good. I'm not homophobic. I got money. I'm like, I'm not helping nobody in doing it. Is that kind of my point? So
1: with that, you're doing all of this work, right? You're to You're you're so you're. Doing your own work in your own in your own sphere of influence, which is your circle, your friends, your family. And then you're also adding to that by doing this work of educating the masses or at least the ones that dare to listen to you. How do you make sure that doing all that doesn't kill you? Fuck with your own ability to to care for yourself. Like how, what does self-care look like
0: for feet? That's a good question. I'm figuring out one out. Um, I'm a private. I'm not a private. I don't know. I'm not used to this much attention. I'm definitely not used to this much praise. Um, I'm a I'm a low key keeping kind of dude. I like to I like for people to expect the least of me. Um, And now suddenly I'm a voice. Um, After the Edge Lord video, I had people reaching out to me talking about self harm and like the video changed their life and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that. And I had I broke down. With some friends and my wife a couple of weeks ago, like I broke down and had to like be talked into continuing because I was overwhelmed by the reality that, you know, I may quit my job in a year for this. And like suddenly I'm a YouTuber and I have to start like thinking about how my words affect people um, as opposed to just throwing hot takes out on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Having my friends like it and share it. And so I'm still figuring that out. the one thing i've gotten better at is so one, one good thing is that i'm too sure of myself to let like bad faith criticism affect me and i'm too insecure to get like too big headed i'm like i'm i'm kind of in the middle there you know what i'm saying and i have a strong partner that keeps me grounded and whenever I start talking crazy, she starts calling me Kanye. And so, like, that's a good way to, like, be reminded of, like, where I need to be. But, you know, self, like, self-care, like self I had it really figured out before I started this. I had a therapist and we had, like, house routines, especially during COVID. And then, like, me and my therapist have disconnected because it's just, you know, work and time frame. And now I'm fake famous, to quote one of my old homeboys. Um, and it's like, all right, I got to figure that out as we as this ramps up. Because I don't know. That's a that's a I wish I had a, a real answer for that, not just for the podcast, but for myself.
1: No, I mean figuring it out is a step further than a lot of people. Like taking the time to actually think about it and figure out how your day-to-day habits are impacting your mental health and your physical health and your ability to go on, that is a step further than a lot of people are. So you should commend yourself for at least that.
0: I'm I'm closer than most, but <laughs> I need to get in there.
1: <laughs> in my opinion, your YouTube channel is both a love note and a challenge to black people. So, what do you hope in the long run your impact will actually be?
0: That's a good question. So, I want I want to I guess maybe do two things. I want to I want to shift the narrative of black manhood away from where it's been the last three, 400 years, just a little bit, not a little bit, a little, a nice amount, um, or at least expand the conversation so that other men feel more apt to speak up and speak to what's going on to challenge what black manhood is to everybody else. Because I think what it is now is not working. And in doing, I want to do that through celebrating and Fan, just being a huge fan of black people shit, especially media and art and music um, and you know stuff like that. I want to do it through that medium as much as possible. Um, I'm going to touch on other things because, you know, I, I, I can't I'm not going to do all of the, that. But that is, I guess, the ultimate goal is to be a thought leader of some sort to have, you know, I've had a lot of men say, yo, this spoke to me. You know what I'm saying? This this healed me watching this. My love video really like affected a lot of dudes because a lot of dudes felt all the things I was talking about and had never articulated them, especially outwardly to, you know, the world. And so to to hear another man articulate that, that did something for it. And so, like, I want that. I want to improve where men are so that we can be better humans, better partners, better, better fathers um, and then just be healthier. And then I want to just celebrate and elevate Black art to be to, to be K-pop. Just, I want to be like a K-pop fan. I love, like, I don't listen to K-pop that much. I have a video, I don't know if you saw the K-pop video. But, like, I talk about K-pop just because, like, when I first witnessed it, I was like, man, these people are so fucking happy about this shit. And I'm jealous because we so cynical about ours. You know what I'm saying? We too cool to be fans. We too cool to... We too, you know, hard or too real or too revolutionary or too woke or too, you know, non-woke or whatever to just be like, yo, that was funny or that was entertaining or that was sexy. We don't do that part enough to just be fans of our own shit. We doing it what we do a lot better. And I just kind of want to wrap that up.
1: I love that. So if people want to get in contact with you, learn more about what you do. Um, where should they get in touch?
0: So first, you can find me on YouTube. Um, I don't know what the name of my YouTube. I'm FD Signifier on YouTube. I don't know if there's like a special .com or whatever. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, FD Signifier on Instagram, and then on Twitter. On Twitter, I am. I just started tweeting. I'm scared to fucking Twitter though, but I'm I'm, I'm getting there. I am peak signifying on Twitter. And then if you just want to, if it's like business related, you can catch me on email, uh, signify your, and that is spelled differently. It's spelled um, with F-Y-R-E at gmail.com.